0: as you know, Colin, I, I live just up round the corner. So I've been coming down here every day for the last 30, nearly 40 years. Yeah. I knew all about that hedge. And I wouldn't say I took it for granted, but I always loved walking past it. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. Particularly in the summer here, you could see the sparrows taking dust baths just yeah. where just where you're standing. Because the, the breeze gathers wee pockets of dust and you see them in having dust baths. Yeah. And occasionally maybe a sparrowhawk would come along and it would see the sparrows diving mm-hmm. into this fence line, or diving into the uh, hedge, yeah. and the hedge was about six foot tall, m- mainly privet and hawthorn, mm. maybe a couple of other species in it like flowering currant. The next thing I saw these guys appearing, in, you know, high vis jackets last year, round mm. about January into February, because I remember it was just about the time the Ukraine invasion was happening. Mm. The news was full of it, and that's what it seemed to me like. Our own wee mini invasion. I could see all these people didn't know who they were, where they were, came from. Mm. They were almost like an army. They just descended on the place this morning. The next thing, mm. chainsaws going, the hedge was cut to, cut to the ground, trees were been crushed down. It was like it was like a war. As far as I was concerned, it was like ecological war had been declared. Mm-hmm. And I was going, what 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 is going on? And I actually felt as if it was an invasion extrapolated what I was thinking onto Ukraine, I said, you know, those people are soon going to have Russian tanks coming down their streets and an army and they'll feel so powerless because what do you do? You know, you've lived in a place all your life. I felt, who are these people? And a, a sense of rage and fury.
1: This is Solastalgia. My name is sue Ann Harding.
2: My name is Cullen Shaw.
1: And this podcast is a series of stories about accidental environmental activism in Northern Ireland. I first came across the word solastalgia when I was reading Robert McFarlane's book Underland. And solastalgia is a word that was coined by an Australian professor, Glenn Albrecht, in 2003, and he defines it as a form of psychic or existential distress caused by environmental change.
0: So then I started investigating, and suddenly I discovered it was the Department of Infrastructure and was doing this flood alleviation scheme, and it was to save us all from drowning and save all the local properties and so on. And I had no, no problem with that. But I wondered why I hadn't heard more about it. I wondered why they the, the actually needed to take the hedge to the to the very ground, yeah. you know? Why, why could they not have left it? So I started throwing up my own ideas, you know, why don't you try to relocate the wall and keep the hedge as, as it sits? And one thing related to another, and I met you and I met various other people, and uh, we started a wee bit of supplementary feeding of the sparrows that you can hear chirping in the background, mm-hmm. because we thought they were under pressure. What I realised from from a sparrow point of view, I wasn't just interested in them, I was interested in the trees, all the vegetation, and the whole, the whole way along here, because it's where I walk, it's where I live. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's where I enjoy nature. This is our vegetation. This is where we live every day. So hundreds of days every year I'm up, I'm up and down here. I resented them taking away the sparrows and I wondered what consideration had been given. The more I looked into this, the more I discovered that very little research had been done. There was very little studies done on what was already here. There didn't seem to be any mitigation built in from day one
1: it's almost like a microcosm right so we're yeah. standing here on this old heritage lock and we're looking towards the river at the boathouse and there's what do you know what these plants are they're a kind of a climbing yep. laurel or yep. something
0: one of them is a clematis Montana, oh, okay and the other one is some sort of evergreen honeysuckle it's okay a, you know, horticultural available thing. yep yep but they're very excellent cover ones evergreen as you see this one here that has lost its leaves is, uh, is yes. Montana. Yep. So it'll come out in beautiful blossom yep. later on in the year.
1: Yep. That hedge, well, it's actually, yeah, they're growing on the on fence. The wire, yeah. oh, yes. And we're standing here at the lock. And then on the other side of the car park is this new wall that's been built in, in exactly in place of the hedge. But it's a microcosm because they came and destroyed that hedge, which was six foot high and... What, how long is this? Is 40
2: metres? Yeah. Do I remember measuring it? Mm-hmm.
1: OK, so they come in and they destroy a hedge of different species, six foot high and 40 metres long. And
2: quick question, Peter, how long do you think that hedge was there for?
0: Oh, it was decades. I, wow. It's there as long as I as I remember. And I came to Strondmillers about 40 years ago. So it's, it's been there 40 years at least.
1: Wow, so it's really a feature of... It's well established. It's a feature mm-hmm. of the landscape. It's the home to the sparrows. Yep. All you we're asking, all you're asking, is that they figure out how to replace it and to mitigate it. And so we're just talking about 40 metres mm-hmm. of vegetation. And yes, it's a year since it happened, and it's six months more since we had that uh, meeting in the end of June at the boathouse, and nothing. So that microcosm of we can see the problem, we can identify the problem, we can identify solutions, yep. we have people here who are knowledgeable, willing to help, willing to contribute. It's all here. Mm-hmm. And if we can't figure it out for just this little bit and this hedge, I, I, I find that really telling because it is this kind of microcosm of bigger things. And often things are said... Made as a much bigger thing. Oh, it's going to take time, or we need mm-hmm. to go through. But this is a case where it's actually quite solvable, mm-hmm. and it's not very big. It's not a yeah. lot of money. No. It's it could actually.
2: But the impact would be huge. It would be and yeah. the reason
0: this place was so good. It acts like a natural sort of amphitheater. You have the the old canal bed. You have the car park. The sparrows love that to be in messing about they're having dust baths. But they were using both the hedge that is now gone and this vegetation along the fence line as there are two areas where they could fly to. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what way a predator comes in or whether a human or a a car, they go to the nearest hedge. Mm -hmm. They've only got one hedge left. As you know, Colin, we did thicken it up a bit. We got permission from the boat club last year and we put in, these are dead branches, just to provide additional cover for the birds in the meantime. So they're just pushed in, that was great. We put up some sparrow boxes, some of them used last year for sparrows to breed. And worth mentioning from a biodiversity point of view, we also got a tree bumblebee nesting in one of them, box number 11, which is a species new to Ireland, for the very same reason that they're doing this scheme, because of global climate change. We need to manage these things, and uh, it's vital, I think, for, for the local swirder population that that hedge is re-established. Well, you can see that you can look in through it, yeah. and even ivy, you can go in and put it out of the Indeed. road. Nobody's suggesting we, we, yeah. we, we plant ivy. Up
1: and
2: birds aren't fussy, Yeah.
1: What? Or you could chop a little bit so that
0: you can have a look. We could actually go to a privet hedge and you know, you just put your hands and the whole thing just separates. It's the easiest thing to work with. A living wall? Even hawthorns like that, you know. It's a bit thorny, but it'll move. Maybe your hand has to go right down and pull that up. Pull this boy up, has it? Oh, there we go. That's That's us.
2: So we're in the grounds of the boat club and uh, the boat club are the owners of the fence up which these various was it jasmine clematis? so and these creepers Montana. have yep. grown and they kindly engaged with Peter Cush to basically manage the hedge for the benefit of the sparrows although one of its the walls is gone this is now home to the remaining sparrows but there's nowhere near as many as there were but we're going to try and interview a couple of the sparrows and see <laughs> what they have to say wouldn't it be good but it's actually a lovely spot, it's, uh, we're sort of recessed now, we're a little bit further away from car parks and it's a lovely spot, there's um, birds, there's ne- nests, feeders that Peter's put up.
1: You can see them in through That's right, they're there. flitting away.
2: Yeah. And we're indebted oh, yeah, to, the, yeah, to the Methody yeah. Boat she, Club she, and the and the Principal and the, and the Board of Governors who signed me. off on this. You've got your, your feeder out there, Aye, there feeder with the there. premium yep. premium Aye. sunflower kernels, Aye, sunflower delicious. It they love them, them about the place. Absolutely. Helps That's them really good. I wonder what's around the corner. It's a evergreen
0: honeysuckle. You can find it widely. A lot of people have it in their gardens and don't even know. There's some up in the YMCA, so it must be some horticultural company who just routinely be planting it in schemes like this, you know. One of the problems is people will sit and watch Attenborough, they'll sit and watch Winter Watch, and they'll sit and watch, you know, about elections in Brazil and the Amazon rainforest, and they'll be sitting watching some big, big nature issue. But it's what's in their back gardens is our bread and butter. We don't live in the Amazon. We don't live in the equatorial rainforest. We live in Strand Millis. And that's what we've got. We've got things like sparrows. I mean, with a fairly impoverished biodiversity to begin with, compared with like, Australia, very rich biodiverse country but we're the worst in Europe and I mean our biodiversity isn't that great to begin with because yeah. of the wet climate and yeah. it's dull and you know deforestation. deforestation and we get long winters and it's important that we look after what is round us yeah. and those are the things that enrich us and I think species like this enrich people's
2: lives without them even realising mm-hmm. you don't have to know a lot about mm-hmm. them people just say chirpy things yeah. and uh, yeah. that is as you exactly say it's the backdrop
1: yeah so the whole idea of looking after the small bit where we are because if yeah. everybody did that then mm. we would be okay That's so certain. exactly That's it certain. might not be exotic or enormous yeah. or huge or no. but it's this bit and it's yeah. not that much mm-hmm. we went from thinking they're just house sparrows they're everywhere they're yeah. all all the time there's going to be house sparrows and the very idea that there's fewer and fewer and there may not be any. Mm-hmm. Is devastating. And
2: what that says for the wider natural world, oh, I mean yeah. what is going yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah. That we can't even protect yeah. these yeah. sort of common That's right. domestic. And I
0: suppose somebody would have better words than me, but like we don't have mountain gorillas. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have great skewers, we don't we don't have cheetahs we don't have mm. hippopotamus we've got sparrows yes that's all we and that's, that's is, all we can look after because it's didn't all need we've got national yeah. reserve all, no, they no, all, all, all they needed was that all they needed was that hedge and they still still need it mm. so as we can build the numbers up to what they were before mm-hmm. and give them every chance but also Colin, there's the visual amenity of the whole thing people love vegetation and flowers and if we choose the right trees we're going to get berries in the the autumn which are going to last the birds through the winter, we're going to get blossom. You've seen the, the tree bumblebees, just one example of the insects. If some really dedicated entomologist came round here and had a really good look at the insects that are growing in this fence line, who knows what they'll come up with? Because a lot of the times we don't know what's there because we don't have the expertise. You're depending on someone who, who understands all that sort of stuff to come back and, and, and do the survey. It's a very, very little rich, rich area. Mm-hmm. And we just want it put back as far as possible in the way that found it.
1: And to make it better. Like, it better. like you said, yeah. there is it an opportunity it. here to make yeah. it better. Yeah. But also, the sparrows used that hedge. They needed that hedge yeah. Yeah. because yeah. of the way you were talking, how yes. would they flip yes. from one. That need actually hasn't changed. No. Like, those sparrows no. yeah. still, still need, need that. that. They
0: Far fewer. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other wildlife about here. Blue tits, great tits. Mm-hmm. So there was, it was a blue tip used one of the other boxes. Well, so, good. you know, it's, it's just a, a lovely area.
2: When we were talking about... Laganlands East. Yes. When we're talking about yeah. the towpath, we're aware that it was an industrial mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. We're not sort of misty-eyed about trying to preserve things, etc., etc. Et yeah. You know, this wasn't you
0: turn it into pristine countryside. Yeah, exactly. No. Exactly. You
2: know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No. So this place was always kind of a bit yeah. of a mixed bag yeah, in terms. Yeah. People of living
0: alongside like yeah, exactly, all the yeah. time. Yeah. All the sycamores, the big large sycamores that were taken out, they will never be replaced now because. No. At the very at the very minimum, if you put in a half-standard or a standard tree, it's going to be 50 to 100 years before you get back what you had there to to, to begin with. I am still not convinced – it's too late now, those trees are gone – but I'm still not convinced it could have been done a different way. Where someone has this idea, we need a wall, so everything in its way is gone. but did people ever think, well maybe we could put the wall over here? keep the trees I don't know mm-hmm. because it was all done and dusted before we came along but it makes me highly suspicious of why did they have to take the trees down in the first place mm-hmm. I mean did that wall actually have to go exactly where it is now because even now why could it not be 10 yards back or I, I don't know but I'm still left with this idea that very little thought as far as I'm concerned went into this whole scheme from the natural world point of view far too much was thought about the floods and the property but did people ever stop and think is there a way that we could do this differently and i'm still left with that with, with that feeling it's, it's too late now but maybe for the next time we tackle a big job like this if we've done nothing else but get the idea out there look you need to think carefully about this and make sure you've looked at all the options before you pick one in particular just getting Colin, just getting used to it, for, for walking past that hedge for 30 odd years, it just became part of the local scene, mm-hmm. and you watched it in January, in February, in March, in April, mm-hmm. as it changed, and the cold weather, the hot weather, the birds, there were other parts of the hedge where you, you, you would have got a lot of starlings, when starlings were a lot more common here, mm-hmm. just making me think about about the hedge. As you walked along beside that hedge you noticed other things. There used to be house martins nested right along here. Mm. There are no house martins whatsoever at all in yeah. the whole of Strandmillis. Twenty years ago, I remember coming down here, there was a nest on the wee Laganfield Gospel Hall. There was a nest up at the chemists at the end of the road. That's mm. the, the house martin. Little summer migrant comes the whole way from Africa, from the, the rainforest to nest here. They're gone. Mm. We didn't take enough notice of them and put in measures such as nest box. They've just disappeared. Mm-hmm. About three quarters of our swifts have disappeared from Strandmullis now. Mm-hmm. Some nesting in my house, I put up nest boxes, but that's just one individual yes, yes, trying to do it from a fairly selfish point of view. You mm-hmm. know, so I have I have five pairs nesting in my house now, mm-hmm. but there are quite a few other bits of Strandmullis where well, there aren't any at all. Mm-hmm. So in general. I have noticed a marked deterioration in just common wildlife that would have been here 30 to 40 years ago. It's not here anymore.
1: As part of the Belfast Tidal Flood Alleviation Scheme that destroyed the avenue of mature sycamore trees discussed in Episodes 1 and 2, Molly Rose Way, a mature, well-established and well-loved Hawthorne Hedge was also destroyed. In the 2018 environmental screening report that concluded the scheme would not require an environmental impact assessment, the hedge was described as ornamental planting of negligible to low local importance. Locally, the hedge was known as the singing hedge because it was full of chattering house sparrows, a species included on the UK Birds of Conservation Concern Red List of birds in critical decline and in most urgent need of our help. Sparrows have been on the red list since at least 2002. The singing hedge grew 40 metres along the length of a car park in parallel to a wire fence covered in evergreen and deciduous climbers. The hedge and the fence vegetation acted in tandem to provide safety, food and shelter for the sparrows living in this urban patch of land. In this episode, we talk to Peter Cush, known as the Nature Man about his decades-long affection and regard for the sparrows. We talk about his response to the destruction of the hedge, his persistent advocacy for the house sparrows and ongoing efforts to ensure the Department of Infrastructure replaces the hedge and restores the sparrows' habitat. You've lived in the area for several decades, mm-hmm. so maybe you could start by telling us why was that place special for you?
0: Well, I'd have to take you right back to really shortly after I was born. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first memories are riding a wee ten tricycle around the house. i just been interested in nature. I used to collect frog spawn. I remember saying to my mother, can I go out to look at the snow, snowing one night? So I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been at school wouldn't have been at primary school, so just out watching the snow coming down. So I've had a lifelong interest in nature, absolutely, from the day that I could walk. So I'm very very tuned into nature. So that hedge is just one little tiny piece of a big big jigsaw. I would classify myself as just a good observer, mm, mm. and I want to know things. So I just grew up with nature. And it was a kind of joke about the house. They just called me the nature man. Right. Then I met, like, souls, and I've just been like that ever since. Uh, You know, I'm into swifts, and it's just part of me.
1: So when I think now about the Singing Hedge and where it was, it was a bit like that in that it was the one bit of nature and vegetation in an area that... In the past was the canal and you know, <clears throat> pasture, and but gradually over the years has become tarmacked over more and more. And the hedge was kind of the one thing, a piece of vegetation that was left there. So in a way, you talk about when you look around you, that's the thing that you're observing. So I can imagine you walking past that area, past the, the lagoon, and noticing the hedge.
0: Oh, yeah. And day after day, it would change. So in the spring, you're starting to see the lovely fresh leaves of hawthorn. And then May, there's the May blossom. You're getting the hawthorn blossom. And then you're seeing that down back. You're seeing all the insects on it. And then as that dies back, berries start to develop. And you see those same berries, the haws in, in the autumn, and the birds feeding in those berries. I couldn't really go past that hedge. It's just in my own nature without noticing it and looking at it. And I knew there were sparrows in it. I didn't call it the singing hedge. It was only afterwards when I was explaining it to one of the staff members in the Lagan Valley Regional Park and I was lamenting what had been done to the hedge. And he it was him who said to me, Dan, he's one of the rangers, he said, oh, the singing hedge, that's what we called it because it was always packed with sparrows. They're a very sociable bird. So they sit all day chirping and chirping and chirping. that hedge has stopped singing because those sparrows have been wiped out just really by ignorance because the people who took that hedge out they've openly told me but sure the birds will just go somewhere else they can fly, they'll just fly there is nowhere else to go the birds are extremely sociable so the males hold court they go out in a swagger and they show off to the females and the females all twitter about the dust baths they regularly communicate with each other they're aware of predators, so they'll call to each other when the predator comes like a cat or a sparrowhawk. When I was a young guy, you know, a teenager, they were quite rare. They've made a huge comeback. So the sparrows have adapted to the hawks, the sparrowhawk, clues in the name. So they will seek shelter all during the day and they will sit in because they're aware that a sparrowhawk can come shooting Mm. from left or right or up or down at any minute and kill them. So they're always talking talking to, to each other. So both those hedges and the canal and the the canal bed and the car park in between are a natural amphitheatre. So the sparrows feel really at home. It's their stage. So they're playing on stage and they're all working working together. The hedge is providing rich protein diet, which is what they need for rearing their chicks in early spring and, and and summer. So suddenly someone comes along, well, in this case the Department for Infrastructure, without as far as I could see, thinking about it, they just took that hedge to the ground. I was enraged. And also I felt as if this is my local neighbourhood, I was going past this. So I felt to myself, why did I not know about this? Why did somebody not ask me about these sparrows? What's going on here? And it was the time of the invasion by Putin of uh, Ukraine. And I remember saying to Claire Hanna, the, the MP, because I am that sort of person, I think you have to take some action. There's no point in just... Keeping the rage inside, or keeping your knowledge inside. So I found myself saying to Claire, "Hannah, I feel like those poor people in Ukraine." I said, "All these contractors—they've appeared in these, with their helmets on and their chainsaws going—and they've absolutely wrecked my neighbourhood without any consultation with, with with me." So I felt these people have invaded us, and then they pack up, put everything in the van, drive off, and you're you're left with this. What would you feel is as a real a real Valuable thing for the community has been raised and gone, and I got involved using my knowledge because I know a lot about sparrows. And I worked in the Department of Environment. I used to work for NIEA or the Old Countryside and Wildlife Branch, so I felt I knew what I was talking about. I wanted to ask what steps they had taken before they carried out this work to find out what nature was present there and how they were how they were going to safeguard it. And the more questions I asked, the more I came to the conclusion. Now it's just my conclusion. They made of a different version. They hadn't done any research whatsoever. They
2: knew really nothing about sparrows. So what we can remind the listener is that this is sort of a this episode is a companion to episodes one and two, because the hedge was removed as part of this tidal flood alleviation scheme. It's the same scheme. Mm-hmm. So the wall is in fact the first element of the five mile wall that will go down to the harbour and of course the attentive listener will have realised by now that there was no environmental impact assessment to carry that. Mm-hmm. Not a full one. They did a, a light one to establish whether one was needed and they decided that it wasn't. Had they done a proper environmental impact assessment they would have had ornithologists who would have had well of experts. They would have possibly put in the type of measure that you fought for so first of all mitigation looking to reduce the catastrophic impact that their removal of that hedge had on that those two days that it took them to to destroy the hedge and then to talk and engage with people Mm -hmm. like yourself to talk about restoration and we know that that's another battle that you've been fighting the, the restoration of that hedge yeah
1: and it seems to me that it's not very, it, it shouldn't be even difficult in the way, when we say, oh, carry out an environmental impact statement, that sounds very technical and difficult that you need a lot of paperwork. But you were saying there's there no one in DFI who just came down, had a look at mm-hmm. what's there mm-hmm. and thought about what impact mm-hmm. on the environment their actions were going to have mm-hmm. and to think whether they could adjust their plans mm-hmm. in order to reduce or not have that catastrophic impact on the environment and also to tap into the local community. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot to reach out to the community and to get the responses from people. They just saw this hedge is the bit where we can, that we can remove mm-hmm. and put in the wall. They didn't see the sparrows. They didn't see the two hedges working as that little amphitheater for the sparrows. And you're a very gentle man, so the idea that you were enraged is yeah, really yeah. quite a strong.
0: Yeah, I used an old Belfast word. I was raging. <laughs> I just felt, how dare these people do this? You know. On your other point, birds sing and they fly and they've got feathers. It's, you know. So if they had done even the most preliminary basic survey, the Lagan Valley Regional Park, if they'd have been asked. They already knew it was called the Singing Hedge. They knew the importance of the sparrows, so they would have told them. Yes. So there's really absolutely no excuse. But they tried to bluff it out. Mm. And what they also tried to do was they tried to scare me and scare everybody else with people are getting flooded in their houses. The idea that they were putting out that if they didn't do this work, you know, we'd all be found dead in their beds, drowned some morning, and... I think they used that against anybody who was interested in the environment. Oh, these people are sports. but what we're really doing, we're lifesavers. We're interested in keeping people from drowning and keeping them from having their houses full of dirty sewage and, Mm. and floodwaters. Every one of us, because we live in the area, we don't want our houses flooded. So we totally understand that. There is a need for a flood alleviation scheme really because we've let the environment get out of control. Yes. So what do we do then to fix that? We destroy the natural environment even more. And we put on our televisions at night and on Sky News and on CNN and on BBC, it keeps telling us we'll have to look after our biodiversity. The government, we're doing this, we're doing that. The Northern Ireland Assembly, we're doing this. The local councils, we've got a biodiversity action plan. Where is it? Mm. Action. Mm. That's a key word. Oh, we'll grow about that hedgerow because it's in the road of our wall, mm. without any thought as to its importance, without any thought to what mitigation measures. And to this day, uh, as I'm speaking now, I still have no idea whatsoever what they intend to put it in its place. Despite at least four, probably we're probably getting to the stage of this. Probably the fifth or sixth meeting when it comes that we'll have had on site. EFI produces various personnel, some quite senior. They spend a short amount of time arguing that they've have, they've have been right all along, mm. that they were very well informed when, when they've done this. And then when, when that's over, they then talk about, yeah, we will we will come up with a plan and you'll be invited on, on site. Hasn't happened. It
1: hasn't happened. We
0: had an open night in the boat club, all sorts of promises were made. Some of the local people who are interested in the sparrows. We singled in on the realignment of the hedge at Cutters Wharf Mm -hmm. to make sure that the sight lines were okay. So we agreed, yeah, let's do it, but let's sit down together and work something out. I have never seen anything on paper as to where the sight line is going going to be. There's no drawn plan. There's no written plan. There's nothing, no information whatsoever. All you get is an email telling you that at some future date, all this will be worked out. Mm. But you're working with people who have come down and obliterated the hedge. So, you know... Don't blame me if I don't have much faith in them. Mm. I mean, I want to see, what are you going to do? Yeah. What is this vegetation? What's the species? Yep. What height's it going to be?
1: When are you going when, to when are you, When are you
0: going to do it? When are you going to discuss with the locals what we want? And there's quite a few local people who are interested, yeah. who would like to see more trees put back, because we lost a lot of large sycamore trees, 80 to 100 years old, along the back of the apartments. Molly Roseway. So it really comes back to the point you asked me. I'm interested in the environment the whole way from Millis to Lisbon. I'm interested in the environment throughout Ireland, north and south. Mm. I'm interested in the environment in Europe. Mm. I'm interested in the environment in the Antarctic and the Arctic. Everybody's Amazon rainforest is next door to their house. That's where we live. Yes. We needn't look to people in Brazil to save the Amazon for us when we can't save 40 metres of yeah, hedge. Yeah. When are these people in authority and power, going to realise that it's not talk, 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 it's not jaw, 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 it's action. They need to follow through with what all their promises are, and that's what it comes down to. The birds we have at at part Millis are house sparrows. Passer domesticus, the humble, common house sparrow, which is no longer common. The latest research shows that's just this week, 70% decline in them. There's lots of other species have declined in Strand Millis, House Martin, Swift. Some of them are in catastrophic decline. So we're speaking, I think, from a position of strength. If they don't act now, people like DFI, various government departments in, in Northern Ireland don't act now, we're going to lose all our biodiversity. And we're going to have what Rachel Carson spoke about a silent spring. No bird song, mm. no nature, no humming of insects.
1: It seems impossible because we kind of can't imagine a world like that and yet it's happening before our very eyes.
0: And I think what occurs to me is the, that it's death by a thousand cuts. You know, nature, either right outside here at Queen's the Library or in Botanic Gardens, it's made up of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little components from the grass to the, to the bushes to the trees to the flowers and if you take... Wee bit away here, wee bit away. Each and every action where you take something away, mightn't have a huge impact there and then, but when you add it all up, so people are saying, worth where are all the sparrows? There's not as many blackbirds here that used to be last year. There's not as many thrushes. There's not as many." The reason is you're nibbling away all mm. the time, you're nibbling mm. away. As you know, around Strandmillis, you're losing a lot of front gardens, so people peel over their, their garden. That means the water doesn't percolate into the soil, so they're tidying it up or cutting down an 80-year-old sycamore and saying, ah, oh, but we're replacing it with eight saplings, which will be 80 years, well mm. beyond the lifetime of the people who are planting them before you get that same effect again. Mm. That's it. It's death by a thousand cuts. I have a book in front of me here, Nature and Towns and Cities, and it's quite thick, as you see. It's very authoritative and it's packed full of information. And it outlines the Sparrow story in London, mm-hmm. where well, there's also been a catastrophic decline. And some of the reasons for this are well known. Because and really, sprints, I yeah. looked to DFI to recreate that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll be doing. If I get the chance to meet on site again, I'll be holding this up and saying, that's what we would like. Yeah. That's, we would and like you to put it back the way you found it. And it's
1: things. is... Yeah. Put it back the way you found it. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) I think it's worth, because for lifelong ornithologists or conservationists like yourself, that was a magnet. But for me, neither. It was still something that I kind of, not marveled at, but it was always worth a look because it was sort of reassuring in the sense that this was a big colony of house sparrows. You couldn't go by without hearing them. But they needed so little because yeah. what the listener won't know is that there was houses, a road, the hedge, a car park, and another fence. Yeah. So it's kind of in the middle of basically trapped between a road and a car park. Very busy, very very busy. Mm-hmm. Not People in anybody's everywhere. way. Yeah, it was, but absolutely jam packed full. of... So I was thinking. Well, you know, what they're hanging on in there and they really don't need much. You know, it sits yeah. on your head. It's not a forest. It was a very urban setting, but it was thriving. Mm-hmm. So, again, for a lot of people during lockdown, those walks, those regular walks were probably went over that site more regularly than it would have normally. Mm-hmm. And it was always that treat of, of coming, you know, that the bird song. And singing is actually, I was thinking, it's probably not accurate. because Twittering. They Twittering. Don't Twittering. Twittering. Turban Turbul- I would use the word. Yeah, It was male- malefic. Malefic? Malefic yeah. voice? As far as, but it's yeah. so fun. It's so human, isn't it? Yeah. They're just having yeah. a row. Yeah. Constant mm. row all yeah. the time. But yeah. I think, Colin, you put your finger on
0: why it struck people particularly badly at the time. I think it was just after the lockdown. Mm. That place was always busy, yes. but it was so 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 busy mm. during the whole lockdown. More and more people were coming onto the wagon valley towpath mm. and suddenly overnight it was gone, mm-hmm.
2: they put up with everything except for oh yeah they're they're, they're
0: they're quite sociable bird and they people like them you know they, it's really you can get a very intimate mm-hmm. relationship with nature when the things are hopping about your mm-hmm. table feeding on crumbs, mm-hmm. you know
1: so when they chopped down the hedge and they didn't just chop it down to the ground they actually dug it up and completely removed it eventually but, yeah but even that's right eventually because they did chop it down to the ground yeah, right to and the then ground. they did nothing for a long time yeah. and I remember walking past it yeah. and seeing how it was growing back yeah. this kind of resilience yeah. but since then they have actually gone yeah. through And but you also encouraged to keep some of the root yeah. stock yeah. and I'm I'm really impressed because you described to me how they actually dug up the rootstock using the very same diggers Diggers, that they were using. And I'm really impressed by that act of courage, I suppose, on your part. Because even as you're watching it be destroyed, you're making them salvage a little bit. I always Mm -hmm. felt this idea that some rootstock was salvaged as... Just so sad that all we (laughs) had were these remnants, and yet you somehow were able to still hope or just be a bit bullshy.
0: That kind of evolved, but evolved very quickly. Whenever they cut it to ground level, I asked at the first meeting, Why have you taken this hedge away? Because that's where the flood alleviation wall is going to be. That was the only information I had. So I went back and actually drew it on a bit of paper myself. Why don't they dig this hedge out? The hedge is at least fifty years old, so the big stems at the bottom were quite thick. You could see the rings, because basically a hawthorn hedge is really hawthorn trees mm. which you're stopping from growing to mm. full height. So you keep cutting a hedge. All a hedge is are trees which you keep cutting forever to reach a, a eventual natural height. But if you keep cutting it and cutting it and cutting it, not only are you thickening it up and you create a hedge, but that hedge, the plant then becomes very long lived that hedge could go hundreds of years. And because the root system is only feeding a small amount of vegetation above the ground, it's quite robust and resilient. So I knew from agricultural practices throughout Northern Ireland, throughout the UK, throughout Europe, that farmers will regularly, if they want to, dig up a hedge from the roots and transplant it somewhere else. Mm. So I suggested to them, why don't you dig these things out, build your wall and put them back in? But then I was told... That there are various engineering reasons why not, or various reasons because of the nature of this being a flood wall. But I said, but look, you could dig these things out and store them somewhere up at, say, Sir Thomas and Lady Dixon or the Lagan Valley Regional Park and provide some land. You just dig a hole, lift your hedge out, because it's already it's already cut to the ground. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the digger goes in, lifts the roots. There might be a wee bit of root damage, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is. We're not doing anything here that's all that revolutionary. These are well-known techniques, mm. but they will have some of the, the stools, as I call them, or the mm. stumps. Mm. So we have those stumps. Some of them are planted on site and they could be quite easily relocated back along the flood alleviation wall. And they're growing quite well, particularly the privets. Yes, Because when vegetation like that gets a shock, there's still a lot more root than there is vegetation above mm. ground. Mm. So... Plants of hormones, gibberellins, mm. oxens. So they get this massive surge, and they go, someone's trying to kill me, I need to grow. So they vigorously sprout. And I was up there yesterday and could see that the privet's sprouting very well. The hawthorn will come back and bud. You might lose some of them. So really, one of am saying to you now is that hedge, provided the FA have carried out what they said they would do, I have only their word for it, I don't know exactly where they planted the rest of the hedge stumps. I'd love to see them brought back. And remember, they contain all the original bacteria and fungi associated with that hedge, which were established for 50 years, all the mycorrhizal fungi. Yeah. The essence of what those plants were is still there yeah. in the soil around the roots. So I was able, I think, to explain to these people, and I was also explaining to politicians very simply, about how you would transplant a piece of vegetation from one place to the other. So what I call it, you're really recycling the hedge. Yeah. You're actually recycling yeah, the hedge. You're yeah. taking the hedge, you're storing it off-site, and then you're bringing it back. Yeah. So you're recycling it. And rather than having to plant a new hedge, yeah. you're planting back the original hedge, which grows on the stumps. Yeah. And remember, the stump has been created by the hedge, been cut year after year yeah. after year after year yeah. after year after year.
1: So even as they were destroying it, you were providing a solution. Don't you wish we could just go back in time and be standing at the singing hedge with somebody from the DFI or from the wall builders and say, okay, you need to build the wall. Where could we build it Mm -hmm. in a way that's going to protect this hedge? To the same extent that they went to protect the car park and the road, and the heritage lock, like if they were able to look at that and go, We can't destroy this hedge. Mm-hmm. So where will the wall go? Or if it has to be exactly where the hedge was, okay, that means we're gonna have to shift mm-hmm. the hedge. Yeah. So this is how we're gonna shift the hedge, yeah. and this is the best time of year to do it, and this mm-hmm. is the best the and solution could is... we have
0: forfeited, for example, some of the car park spaces. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's an area that's open to recreation. Yes, it's been people walking. by locals, yeah. I mean, I think most people, given the choice between having 40 metres of hedge and 15 car parking spaces, well, what about 30 metres of hedge and 12 car park yeah. spaces? Mm-hmm. But that was never considered. No. Of course, the car's
2: king. No one even attempted. Yes. So if you go back today, if you closed your eyes a year ago and opened them, the hedge is now... A wall. A wall. Everything else... The lines in the car parks yeah, the same. Identical. Yeah. Which is yeah. Profoundly shocking. Yeah.
1: It's like it's yeah. fossilized it is. into yeah. a brick wall. Yeah. The, the whole the monster. whole
0: thing reminded me, a little story I have about I was in Taiwan visiting a daughter this year and I was in this steep wooded valley to a Buddhist monastery, away down in the southern bit of Taiwan. And we were coming down this steep path and I saw this little plaque and a beautiful, beautiful old tree. I can't remember the species offhand, but a are photographs of this and a are photographs of the text on the plaque and it's called the General's Tree. And the story of, on the plaque kind of tells you that this general was visiting somebody that he knew in the monastery, came walking down this beautiful path in this gorgeous forest, subtropical forest, and admired this fantastic tree. But he saw all these workmen standing about, so he asked what's happening here and they said, we're having to put an archway through the trail here. So he said, uh, so what are you doing with the tree? Oh, we're cutting it down. He said, but it's been grown here for maybe 200 years. Where are you putting this archway? So the guy who was the worker says, I'm going to put it there. He says, well, leave the tree where it is and put it there. So suddenly some guy scratched his head. I mm, hadn't thought of that one. And that's that's the story. Mm-hmm. Simply told... Mm. There's now the tree still there. It's called Mm. the General's Tree Mm. and the Archway is next door to it. Mm. Mm. But think you actually think how profound that that mindset is that someone would come and cut down a 250-year-old or 200-year-old tree Mm. because they wanted to put in an Archway. Whenever the Archway fits in perfectly, as you can see now, because you can walk down through the Archway past the General's Mm. Tree and I thought... That's a lesson could be learned by DFI.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to put a word on that attitude. And the word I've come up with is a form of decadence. It's having a profusion of things, but not valuing them at all. So I, I looked it up. So decadence is this idea of, of law, of, of a, a decadent society is one where of um, decline. Mm-hmm. And we are witnessing that decline. And what's absolutely maddening is that we have all the information now. We're told to be worried about two things: climate change and biodiversity loss. And you turn up one day, and they're taking one thing seriously, which is the climate change and rising sea levels, at the same time as they take down this hedge, 40, which is utterly baffling. Yeah. yeah, but speaks a lot about their values. Yeah. and that decadence, I think, is that sort of that hedge was absolutely valueless. Yeah less than a couple of parking spaces, even less than the work would have done to establish who owned the hedge, because that Mm -hmm. was at times in dispute whether it was really unknowable or not. It was nobody's knows. But it was definitely more of a headache to do it in such a way that the hedge was maintained than not. And I think it was just the easiest thing to do. And I think the general tree
0: story probably fits better with all the big sycamores that were along the, the apartments because mm-hmm. they were 80 to 100 years old, mm-hmm. really mature, beautiful trees. Mm-hmm. They were all taken away. Mm-hmm. I'm left with this thought. I wonder, did anybody ever look at the real necessity of taking those trees down? Each one, Could the yeah. wall have been relocated, either northwards or eastwards or westwards? Mm-hmm. You're left with the feeling, well... I don't think that was ever considered. But you just wonder, you're left with that feeling, I wonder could this have been avoided altogether if someone had just looked at it a certain way? Did they give the environment an equal value, or to, value. to the infrastructure? Mm-hmm. And maybe the clues in why they're called the Department for Infrastructure. Yeah. So they just think infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But whether they like it or not, there's a no in them now. The government are telling us, big government, Westminster government, European Union, they're telling us there has to be a new way of doing these things. We cannot carry on with the fossil fuels. We cannot carry on with biodiversity loss. And what's our biodiversity? 70% decline in the mm-hmm. house sparrow, mm-hmm. 70 odd percent in the starting. These figures just roll off the tongue now.
2: Mm-hmm. And somehow or
0: other, people working in the Department of Infrastructure, they probably think that doesn't apply to them. That, that's sort of some detached figure. Oh, yeah, the government wants, but that's not us. We're Department of Infrastructure, and it's but it is a, them. And
1: mm-hmm. it's just a hedge. Like yeah. we have a lot yeah. of hedges yeah. Yeah. and it's hedges. just sparrows. Mm-hmm. We oh, have wow. a ton of sparrows. Yeah, that sense well, of there's yeah. so much of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that it, Because Belfast is quite a green city in mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and you can walk around and say, well, there are, you know. Yeah,
2: but I think that that's the other word, this kind of, I can't think of it, but so, for example, we know, yes, it's true that there is greenery, but it's very poor in terms of habitat, and mm-hmm. it doesn't sustain. If you look at all of the indexes across Europe, Ireland is, and the, the British Isles are the worst, and Ireland is the worst part of the British Isles, and I mm-hmm. believe Northern Ireland is the worst part of this island. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of tree coverage, it's just like 7%. So we have this illusion and mm-hmm. this self image of the Emerald Isle mm-hmm. and we're very green and tourists come here because they love seeing all the greening. So I think what they're seeing is perhaps not a very overpopulated country but in terms of tree cover and forests there's very, very few there's infinitesimally small native woodlands left. Indeed. A lot of it's, it's managed forests. Yeah. So and we're onto this illusion, I think. Yeah. Delusion. Yeah, You've just stirred my...
0: In my th- my brain again called Taiwan because it's fresh in my memory. Fantastically well forested. There are 23 million people in Taiwan. 23 million. And there's still lots of room for greenery. We have a much, much lower population. A lot of the 40 shades of green that we have in Ireland are caused by overproduction of nitrates. Mm-hmm. We're too green. It's grassland. So a lot of those grassland fields that you see throughout mm-hmm. the countryside as you come down the Clocker Valley, they're sterile deserts mm-hmm. as, uh, when it comes, comes to wildlife, because it's really a result of over-application of phosphates and nitrates, mm-hmm. and which is affecting our water systems as well. I don't want, want to get into this phase of sort of coming almost like a preacher for the environment, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to home in on what it, what it is Whenever these people are working, whenever government departments are doing their day-to-day work, do they not realise that there is a big picture and they're part of it? And if government departments and councils don't do it, who is going to do it? Well, local people will do their bit. But I don't have my hands on the levers of power. I don't have big budgets. I don't have tens of millions of pounds. That strikes a chord with me. This Department of Infrastructure Flood alleviation Scheme is multi-million-pound project? You can get a hundred hedge plants hawthorn for fifty quid, fifty pounds. Will get you a hundred good, say, sixty to ninety centimetre hawthorn whips. You're talking about buttons, really? Pieces of of uh, ogits which are negligible. Well, it, would
2: less to, it would have cost less to remove the hedge. Yeah. Those those yeah, three days yeah. of contracting. That's right, and it costs nothing it. because mm-hmm. they've already
0: got the machinery on board. They think nothing of taking a lamppost out or mm-hmm. digging up three or four acres of concrete. It wouldn't fuss a contractor. That's what their bread and butter is. I must say, the people that I met on site who were transplanting the hedge, they thought it was great, something new, mm-hmm. something different. And you could see them warming to you because you could see them going, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And they were involved in something that they'd never really tried before. And the proof of the pudding's in the eating because you could go back there today and you'll see that that hedge growing perfectly okay.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm getting very passionate here.
2: That approach of being able to sort of walk away from what is basically a disaster, but to immediately think of practical steps, sensible steps, steps that are, Small enough for them not to immediately just brush aside. You've been at that from day one and you've had success. So there, there are those stumps there are growing. They're about three foot tall mm-hmm. now. And it's mm-hmm. proof. If this is just like a talking cure, if this is like therapy for people who've had a terrible time with the mm-hmm. department or something like that, mm-hmm. then really, you know, it'll be just another one of those yeah. interventions. But if it's inspiring... And people go, and obviously a lot of the people we talk to will have made those steps. But for us, we're, it's accidental. We're just beginning. But that there is practical steps that you can do, even despite the, the contractors or the departments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there's something that, that can be done. And the fact that it is a growing hedge, ready to be replanted in its original spot, is, is a fantastic mm-hmm. thing.
0: And, I, you know, I mean, it's maybe a forlorn hope, but I would hope that anybody who's listened might then... I think the next time they're on a similar scheme, apply some of that thinking and yes. say, well, I wonder, could we transplant that rather than obliterate it, mm-hmm. recycle it? They're all very simple things to do. Mm. That is all we, we have. I mean, we haven't got tropical rainforest. We haven't got pandas.
1: And that's actually a question I wanted to ask you. Do you see yourself as an activist?
0: Y- yeah, but not not in that sort of way, like a sort of a, a, a gorilla kind of... Phantom tree planter, <laughs> but there is a guy. There's a guy, John Millis. Yeah. I meet him the odd time. And he runs around putting planting apple trees on the council land, mm. and he particularly sources the apple trees. And, and there's one a, a lock in Wexford. It's a, a rare old Irish native apple tree, and he just plants them in green triangles and say roads. There's one down at the bottom of Charman Road. And I remember one day I came along in the bicycle and the council, Belfast City Council, had a squad out and they were all milling about with spades. So being local, I just asked him, what are you doing, lads? Oh, we're going to move these trees up to Sir Thomas and Lady Dixon. I says, well, some local guy has planted them. And I said, apparently he, his original motivation was that one of them was a memorial tree to some good friend of his who died. I said, don't be touching them. So they sort of looked at each other and looked at me, and then. So the next thing, they up tools and away they went. The trees are still growing there. So, the only thing I would say about that is it kind of lets infrastructure off the hook. Yes. Because if we go and plant it, one, Hmm. they can then say, "Well, we're trespassing, or you haven't got the owner." See, they're making a big issue now about the landowner's permission. That's what they tell us. Well, as far as I'm aware. They own most of the land themselves, mm-hmm. so they're speaking to themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you have the boat club alongside who've already planted their own hedges. You've Methodist Boat Club who've already got their own fence line planted. There's hedges all over the place. So I don't see any strong opposition among any of the local landowners to hedges, because they've all got their own. So why wouldn't we plant replant it? I get the feeling talking to them most of the time. Personal that can be quite condescending. I mean I remember one guy actually said to me, Should sure, the birds will fly somewhere else? Yeah. One of their staff members. I mean he, he didn't it's a he he did not realise how appallingly ignorant that statement was yeah. in the sense of knowledge of birds course, they can fly. That's like uh, some extinct species. Oh, the, the great oak, oh, it'll fly somewhere yes. else. Well, the great oak was flightless, but that does yeah, Passenger pigeon, yeah. <laughs> remember, passenger pigeon's now extinct. It existed in flocks of billions in North America. It's now extinct, mm. gone completely, mm. never to return. Imagine that attitude. Actually, there's plenty of them. They'll yeah. fly somewhere else. Yeah. Well, there comes a stage whenever there's nowhere else to fly. They've yeah. flown away all the can yeah. and they've f- flown into extinction. It's an appallingly ignorant statement for anybody to make, especially if they don't know a budgie from a golden mm. eagle.
1: Because mm. the other thing I was thinking about this is the idea of commons, the commons. So the air belongs to everybody. Mm-hmm. That hedge, it may have been on a particular strip of land that belongs to so-and-so, but that hedge was the commons. Because Mm -hmm. everybody could enjoy it and everybody Mm -hmm. could see it and breathe the oxygen from all of those Mm -hmm. things. And that idea that they've come and removed that from the commons Mm -hmm. and have no sense of restoration or repatriation for what was Mm -hmm. removed from the commons. Mm -hmm. So there is something about holding them to account, but it is that sense of urgency. How long do you hold?
0: A good landscape contractor would plant a website's hedge in half a day. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, we come back to that whole thing that it's... And you've got the Lagan
0: Valley Regional Park guys. They might be able to get some volunteers in. You know, you're only planting whip-sized trees. So we we could get local volunteers and so on. But I think the onus is on DFA. Organise it and do it and pay for it. I agree. Because it could be
2: that they don't want to set a precedent, that this is not the way they do business. And if they start to pander to local environmentalists, they are going to just open a big can of worms. And really what they want to do is... Get the asphalt down and walk away. Yeah, and
1: I, on their terms, restoration, yeah. all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's on their terms. Mm-hmm. They will do it when they are ready.
2: Because if you look at it, so just looking at the wall and the Molly Rose Way, there seems to me to be absolutely no pre-designed spaces for any habitats to go back in. Well, Molly Molly Rose May at the moment is solid tarmac. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So they're going to have to cut it out. Tarmac. Yeah, mm-hmm. black. Top, it's I'd that's say that sort of airport runway. That's what it's called. Quality. Quality. It's it's Absolutely. Black top. Impermeable,
0: yeah. I have one example right at the minute. I, I, I may as well. Sure, we're we're talking friends here. Merlin's Meadow, which is the little meadow which sits between the bend of the river and, and the old it's canal. Yeah, and the old canal. Now it's ASSI designation and very special scientific interest. It used to be grazed as part of the Lagan Meadows complex. And Lagan Meadows, it hasn't been grazed for the past three or four years. Now, I know for a fact, because I spoke to the consultant just the other day, a private consultancy firm who gave Belfast City Council a blueprint for that Moorlands Meadow. They showed them how they could reinstate the grazing, where they should put the drinkers, costed, expert, beautiful biodiversity action plan and management for Moorland's Meadow. It's sitting on someone's desk in Belfast City Council, forgotten about. That same consultant had a grazer ready and waiting to put cattle on it because that's what it needs. The the clue's in the meadow. Meadows stay meadows because they're grazed. So people have this lovely pastoral scene. If you went through Moorland's Meadow, the Mm. cattle are grazing around you, the flies are flicking their tail. Mm. Mm -hmm. All the noises... the habitats they're creating with the cow pats, mm-hmm. they open up the ground there. So it's a really good place for some solitary wasps on the, on the eroded path. Mm-hmm. And it's been totally neglected. Hasn't been grazed now in the past three years. Mm-hmm. Like lands East, for anybody who knows the area, mm-hmm. always was grazed from as long as I can remember. As long as I, since I came to Strandmillis, you'd see the cattle down off the old dump face because mm-hmm. it used to be part of just a dumping site for Belfast City Council and the cattle grazed through it, opened up various areas, enhanced the whole biodiversity. It's not been grazed.
2: So it so can't be now, of
0: course, because it's a building site. Yeah, part of it is, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I'm asking those questions. Where's the accountability? Who can I go to? Because I have been going to various councillors I've been going to all the parties and asking them, what are you doing about reintroducing grazing in the lagging meadows? And I've an advantage in that I kind of know how the system works because I used to work for government. So I know how these things should work. And how the work is, you need committed councillors. You need somebody in the DUP or Sinn Féin or SDLP or an independent, someone in Belfast City Council to ask the question of the staff, why... In 2023, do we have not have any plans for grazing Merlin's Meadow, which is a special scientific interest, has been grazed for years and years and years. There's a costed, detailed, written action plan with costs which would benefit Merlin's Meadow from a nature conservation, from an amenity point of view. It's part of the Lagan Valley Regional Park, so they're going to be supportive. What is going on? What is happening? So, you know, this, the hedge that we're talking about, it's only one tiny fraction. We should have a Lagan Valley regional park in that area where when you walk out of Stron Millis, there should be cattle ooh, grazing and looking at you. Kids love them. You should have cattle on Lagan Meadows and you should have cattle on Merlins Meadows. Not only should you have them, you must have them to maintain what makes it an area of special scientific interest because it's old pasture land, mature oaks, under which the mm. cattle are grazing, mm. what's going to happen now is the grazing brambles are going to come in, and what's going to happen is the area will revert to woodland, which is great from a in, in the big picture point of view. Of course, we need more mature woodland, but we also need some more of these very rare habitats, right? such as pasture, which is grazed underneath big mature oak trees. Mm. The other thing that is absolutely 100% noticeable is the lack of investment in that piece of the Lagan Valley Regional Park. People think that the Lagan Valley Regional Park is this powerful entity where you're not allowed to do this and you have to do that. And you, nonsense. It's neglected at the minute mm-hmm. and ordinary people, again, can't get that engagement because they're politicians are all sitting about with their feet up in the air, mm-hmm. and the local council, it isn't much, much better. The system's broken. I think the Member of Parliament for South Belfast and the people in Belfast City Council themselves know that only too well. Mm-hmm. I'm retired. I'm an old man. You know, coming to the last years of my life, I'm involved in nature. I want an environment that's rich and Biodiverse for everybody in Strandman, no matter who you are or what political party you you represent, get in there and let's see something happening. Okay. But as far as I'm concerned at the minute, there's very little happening other than it being destroyed.
2: Pastor Domesticus was subject yeah. to an elimination campaign by Chairman <laughs> Mao yeah, yeah. back in 1958, Chairman Mao's great leap forward when he became impatient. With the the progress towards the 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 sunny uplands of a communist state, and he identified four scourges, four pests, that he thought were were holding everything back, and they they were the um, the, the rat, the mosquito because of malaria, flies, and the house sparrow, particularly the house sparrow, because he noticed himself that uh, when he was going around these farms and trying to boost production and and modernise the. The, the rural economy, that uh, there's always sparrows and they're always picking away at the uh, the seeds and and stealing the, the wealth of the country. So millions of people went out with pots and pans and sticks yeah. and for all of that spring, or, they banged and they, they exhausted. This. They would round them up and make sure that they wouldn't be able to sleep so they would fall exhausted and then they would be you know killed and then they'd string them up. Fill buckets and and then trucks and and you could Karch. see on carts you can mm-hmm. see on YouTube um, these one you know, these happy people you know doing mouse bidding and and ridding the Chinese countryside of of this this terrible scourge, killing billions of of birds at the same time. Of course, that summer, the in the absence of the house sparrow, it was a plague, a plague of insects that ate all of the crops, and there ensued. The Great Famine, mm-hmm. which kills officially 15 million, yeah. but probably 65 million people where they were eating the barks of the trees, the reports of cannibalism, people eating clay. Yeah. This is within your lifetime, Peter, mm-hmm. somewhere in the, mm-hmm. in the early, well, late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Just an extraordinary lesson. One, one humble species played that vital role. And it harks back
0: to what we said about the hedgerow. The, the, hedge the foodstuff provided for a sparrow during the spring and early summer, they need a very rich protein diet, which they get insects, caterpillars, mm-hmm. dragonflies, uh, uh, daddy long legs, things like that, which they pick, pick off the vegetation. High in protein, great growth rate for the chicks. And without that, all, the, all that uh, invertebrate food that the sparrows would have eaten in China was all able to grow like wildfire and eat and strip the crops to the yeah. or bone. Mm-hmm. And it kind of shows you just how important each and every species is. It ha- plays its role in, in nature, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's the starling or the, even the pigeon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's all there.
1: On Wednesday, 8th of February, the DFI met with Peter Cush at last to discuss their plans for replanting. The meeting was attended by local residents and politicians. Peter Cush's multiple suggestions and solutions for reinstating the hedge were met with caution by DFI employees, who insisted that any replanting must not, under any circumstances, interfere with the sight lines required for cars to enter and exit the car park. DFI stressed repeatedly that vegetation must not affect any of the car parking spaces and it could not be allowed to reduce the space people needed to access their car boots. DFI gave no priority at all to the needs of the red-listed house sparrows.